Well, good morning again. We're delighted that you guys have chosen to be here with us, and especially during this series that we're doing on the seven churches of Asia Minor. For those who may not have been here last week, the reason for doing this series is because we are now living in the end age. And because we're living in the end age, we want to look at what Jesus Christ himself had to say about his church in these days. Because from that, we can learn some incredible lessons. One is what not to do. That's always important. But even more importantly, and even better, is we can learn what to do and what to celebrate and what to be a part of. And so as we go in the series of Church Then and Now, and we're looking at Revelations, and so you can turn your Bibles or your phones or wherever you're going. We're going to have someone on the screen, probably most of it today. But First John 5, 4, the same writer, the Apostle John, is writing about the victory that's ours in Christ. And that's the theme. As you've heard the different prayers this morning, that's the theme for us as children of God. We live in that victory. We live, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, as more than conquerors through Christ. All of that is our life. All that is our legacy. All that is our de- destiny. Now, whether or not we're actually experiencing that is a whole nother question or issue. My prayer is that as we look at these churches and we see what Jesus points out, that it can be invaluable. I'm going to reiterate a little bit from last week, not a whole lot, but first of all, revelation. It means that it was there, but it wasn't seen. So the resurrected Christ had been the resurrected Christ for a bit, a number of years, in fact, when John on the island of Patmos, Patmos, thank you very much, Patmos sees him. He's been the resurrected Christ But it's as if the curtain is pulled back and John can see him. And when he sees him there on the island, he sees him. Well, let's look at what it says. Let's make it real simple. He sees him as the one, as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees him as the one who is the first and the last, which again is what Alpha and Omega means, but it is reiterated in the scripture. And he sees him as the one who has the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. Now, the point of all that is this. When we think about church, please be reminded that God never created a denomination. Ever. What God did was he created his church. Now, last week I mentioned koinonia, which is a Greek word for the fellowship of the body of Christ. Today I want to talk about ekklesia, which is another word that's used in the Greek for the church, meaning the called out ones. In other words, we're called out of the world into this relationship with Christ. And then as a body of koinonia, when we fellowship and we help each other, we encourage each other, we minister to one another, but at the same time, we don't make it all about us. We've got to remember and be reminded that when Jesus said the seven golden lampstands, he's talking about the light that shines and the light shines into a dark world. We're living in that dark world today. We are the light that the world needs. We're the answer, as it were. 
What we do with it, again, is up to us. But as you read the language of Jesus speaking to the churches, the one thing that he keeps pointing out to all the churches and to us, particularly as we live in this age, is that as we are the light, we cannot live with compromise with the world, which is sadly what we tend to do more frequently than we should. You'll see as we look today at the church of Ephesus, that is great things that Jesus had to say about this church. But then as he talks about the negative, it it should help us be reminded, wait a minute, there are some things we need to pay attention to. So let's look at the scripture. The angel of the church in Ephesus. So back to church structure. God raises up leaders in every local body. That's how he does it. And there's a plurality of those leaders. They're, they work together under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, there will be one that God, through maturity, whatever, age, designates as, this is the messenger. Uh, in fact, it's the, the word is angelion, which means the messenger, the one who shares the message, the message of truth. It doesn't mean that others aren't sharing the message, but this is part of what God does in his structure. So think back to Acts 15, I gave it last week, where here is the Jerusalem council. This is the council that is going to decide, remember these are all the leaders who have been brought back in now, and they're going to decide how church is going to evangelize their world. Is it going to be along the Judaistic line where, you guys ready for this, where all the guys are required to be circumcised? Or will that not be the case and instead it is truly by grace? And so they're having the council. They all make their points. And then James, the half-brother of Jesus, who has now risen to the leadership of the church in Jerusalem, says this, it seems right to me that we're going to do this by the grace of God. And because the Holy Spirit is in charge in Jerusalem and the church, even though they had differences, even though there were things they were discussing and debating and trying to decide, the Holy Spirit being in in charge, when James makes this proclamation, everybody says, Amen. Now, again, understand, this is talking about the church's influence on the whole world and how they're going to do it. So as you watch this unfold in these seven churches, as we look at them over the next few weeks, you'll see how God is working through leadership to accomplish the things that he wants to do and the things he wants to address. So the one who holds the seven stars, that's the messengers, in his hand, the one who walks among the seven lampstands says this, again, the churches in Asia Minor have difficulty. They did not all get it all right. But Jesus is among the seven churches. He does not leave his church. Write it down, mark it down, get it in your heart. He loves his church. We are his bride. There's a day coming when the bridegroom will come, and we as the bride will be ushered into that fullness of relationship for all of eternity. But in the meantime, we're living as his bride here on earth and walking this out. He loves his church. 
You've got to get that into your hearts and minds. And he looks at the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds. I know your toil. And you persevere. Now, this is, this is really incredible when you think about the verbiage of all this. He says, you guys have been tried and tested. And you stay at it. You stay at it. You don't quit. You don't give up. And you can't even tolerate evil men. Listen, people come into the church who want to bring destruction. They do. I couldn't tell you how many churches have exploded, not in a good way, in my lifetime of people that I've known. I remember back to my childhood when my dad was a leader in church. And some of the things that happened, I don't want to say they scarred me, but they certainly affected me as I saw how people would go at each other's throat. There was an accusation, there was condemnation, there was judgment, and it wasn't always along spiritual lines. You don't tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. Now, I'm going to test you a little bit on this one. Please understand, the word apostle applies to more than just the original 12. Okay, now that office of apostle that they occupied was true and real, but since that time, there have been apostles, and they're still apostles today. They do not fit the criteria of the office that was there with Christ because they were there with him physically, but the function of apostle continues to go forward because it is the church moving into areas that it has not been moved into before. Our friends from India, Dr. M.A. Thomas and his son Samuel Thomas, are apostles. I know many apostles around the globe who are in areas of ministry that is so amazing and so wonderful, but not everybody who calls himself apostle is an apostle. In fact, so you'll know, when somebody comes to me and they introduce themselves as an apostle, <laughs> I start questioning who they really are. Because it's not about me. It's not about braggadocious. It's about the function that God has given through the work of the Holy Spirit. Those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. Now, how did you find? Because here's the thing that we continue to remind you of. This is the word of God. This is the truth by which we go. If you are not spending time in this, you're going to have extreme difficulty in knowing what's false and what's true. She and I were discussing something this morning, and it comes a lot in counseling. When people come in for counseling, there are three sides to every event. And we'll just use marriage for that one, for, for this illustration. There's his side, there's her side, and there's the truth. And often, neither one can see the truth, and that's why they're in such difficulty. And that's where those of us, like myself and Bill and Mark and the others here, Ronnie and Dean and all the ones who lead here, Scott, the shepherds here, that's why we are there to give an objective view from the truth that God has given us 
and reaching and touching those lives. So it's, as he talks about the perseverance, he's not saying, oh, you guys have just had a bed of roses. It's just been wonderful, and that's why you persevered. No, they have been under extreme. Remember, they're in Ephesus. That's where the temple of Diana is, and that's where all this pagan worship is going on. And right in the middle of it is the church of Ephesus doing very well, according to what Jesus says. And you have perseverance. <laughs> Wonder why that, you know, if you notice in the scripture when something keeps coming up, there's a reason for it to keep coming up because one of the things we're seeing in our culture today is pe- people don't persevere in their personal relationship with God. They don't persevere. Well, you didn't tell me it was going to be hard. Well, it is, okay? Now, by saying that, please understand, we have, as I said in the very beginning, in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and what Father has given us, we have become and we are more than conquerors through whatever it is that we face. He says, all that you're enduring, you're doing, you're enduring for my sake. Again, kids, cover your ears. I don't like to use this word, but I'm going to use it. If you're just doing stupid stuff, that's on you. That's in the Bible. It says, if you do wrong and suffer for it, tough. If you do right and suffer for it, praise God. That's how it works. So if you're out here and you're suffering and you caused it, deal with it. In fact, Jesus gets to them and helps them to understand how to do that too. He says, and you persevered, you've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now again, we're talking about perseverance, we're talking about staying at it, because it is a responsibility that God has given us. Yes, he has filled us with the Holy Spirit, he's anointed us for the task, but we still have to stay at it. And he wants us to do that. Now, up till now, Ephesus is looking really, really good. Really good. Anytime you're having a conversation with Jesus, and please, let me just pause for a second here. I hope all of you know what it means to have a conversation with Jesus. Everybody get me? That You know what it's like to truly communicate with Christ. Now, we're not on the island as John was. We're seeing the resurrected Christ. But in our prayer life, we're having that relationship where we have communication with him. And in this conversation... Any time that Jesus says, but, that's when you become all ears. And here's what he says to the church at Ephesus. But, I have this against you. You have left your first love. See, now, if we read that and we just kind of skim over, it's like, oh, this doesn't even make sense. He talks about how great they are and how wonderful they are and how they've done all this stuff and they persevered. But what he's saying is, And this is true for them and true for us. If we are not very careful, we can still do the good stuff, but not for the right reason. In other words, we have to be very careful to examine our motives. He says, you have left your first love. That word there, love, is agape, God love. You have left the intimacy Again, nothing wrong with doing the good things. But it always has to be for the right reason. 
So let me share a little personal stuff. I hope all of you get this. Over 20-something years ago, God gave a vision for this church to accomplish different ministries. Ministries that we knew nothing about. We, I mean, we knew the need. That's what God revealed to us and what our response was to be. And we set out to do it. And by his grace, we were able to accomplish amazing things. That's why we have today Horizons Christian Academy. That's why we have the Cottages of Chester Village. That's why we have the Good Samaritan Clinic. That's why we have the Vine Institute. All those things came out of that original vision. And I got to tell you, as I have matured in my relationship with God, I've learned a whole lot over those 20-something years. And here's what I've learned. When God gives you something, vision, however he reveals it to you, whatever he chooses to do, however he chooses to do it, my view in the past was God said, do it, then get out of the way. It's going to get done. And we did. And after a while, I noticed that we were burning a whole lot of folks out. And our body count was getting pretty high. And I just had to go to God. And that's when, you know, you, again, you just, sometimes when God just deals with you and he just loves you so much, he just, and so one day I'm, I'm, talking to God in prayer, and, and God reveals to me, and you've heard me say this before, God reveals to me, Steve, you don't understand the Scripture. What? You know, I, I promise you, I did not say, who do you think you're talking to? I did not say that. But he was talking about a very specific Scripture. And the Scripture was in Corinthians where it says, take every thought captive. One of my first memory verses. I said, no, I got that one, God. And he said, no, no, you don't. (laughs) Again, if you're not at that place that you know this, let me tell you this now. If you're going to debate God, you're going to lose. Just so you know, okay? And so I lost. That's okay, God. What is there about that scripture that I don't understand? Because every time I've had a thought that I knew did not originate from you, I would do my best to get rid of it, get it out of my mind, clean up my junk. He said, but that's not what that verse says. Yes, it is, God. I've memorized it, remember? He said, no, it says, Steve, every thought. Oh, you mean... Like when it's something you want me to do, but take it captive to you so that it can be done in your time, in your way, and with the people that you desire. Yeah, that's kind of it, Steve. I can't tell you, that was amazing for me. I know that for some of you are saying, you just not get, no, I got it a few years ago, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, that was something for me to get that. Because I had gotten so busy doing all the stuff that I knew God wanted me to do, and he did, and we did. But then I had to take a step back and say, but why am I doing it? It's good stuff. People are being touched. People are being helped. And, it, and it's of God. And, and by the way, as you read the scripture, <laughs> I hope you will, especially the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you see the disciples and sometimes they were in trouble and they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. But for us to grow and mature as we're supposed to, 
we have to really take some time to examine how we're doing this and whether or not we're doing it with the right motive, even with the right attitude. He said, you left your first love. What does that mean? Because when you see a couple starting to have marital difficulty, it didn't happen overnight. It took some time for those things to build up. When we have left our first love, it didn't happen overnight. It was a slow process. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm really kind of busy right now. I don't have time. You know, my family's going through a lot of stuff. I really don't have time to read your word. Or, or Lord, you know, I, I, I know it's important for me to pray, but I really, I, I'm just so busy. Remember all the stuff you gave me to do? I'm working on that stuff. And so I don't really have time to talk to you about it right now. I'm getting it done. Or Lord, I don't really have time to worship you because my life is so full. It's so busy. You know, Lord, you gave me these kids and they're, and they're playing every sport and they're involved in every form of arts there is and, and I am trying to run them here, run them there and do all this stuff and, and do, me a, do me a favor. Have that debate with God. Don't come to me with it. Just have it with God. Because I want to tell you, sometimes, and you guys, please bear with me, because we love kids here. I hope you know that. But we let our kids get involved in way too much. It's not always as healthy as it may seem. And sometimes, sadly, and this is the sad part I see on too much of a regular basis, where, where parents are trying to relive through their kids something they didn't get accomplished. You know, my kid's going to be a better ball player, sports, whatever, my daughter, whatever the case may be. I don't have to worry about the arts part because I, didn't, I never had any of that. I didn't have to worry about the sports stuff. I never had any of that either. You know, God just said, yeah, you don't need any of this stuff. Yeah, 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 you don't need it. But as our kids came along, they had different interests. We allowed them to be involved as much as we thought was right. And they moved on. And now they're mature adults raising their kids and learning those same lessons and applying those same truths. Because, see, here's one of the kickers here leaving your first love can often happen and we're so blessed i'm telling you i'm telling you we're so blessed as a generational church but leaving their first love can sometimes happen because mom and dad took the hits up front and endured the pain and came into that relationship with god and they know they understand the true value and in their desire to raise their kids for the glory of god They maybe, maybe didn't help their kids understand the pain of the process. And so they began to take it for granted. It's kind of like, you know, money. We're going to talk about money in a minute. Hope you brought some. We're going to take an offering. It's kind of like money where you see a family that, you know, mom or dad or grandpa or somebody just makes a ton of money. They just have that gift of, of giver and they just make a ton of money. It comes easy for them and they have it. And then they hand it off to the next generation and their lives go. Because they didn't understand the process of how to get it. So leaving your first love, as Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus and he's talking to us today, is not something that happens just bam. You wake up this morning and say, I'm going to drop Jesus like a hot rock. 
and I'm going to do whatever it is that I want to do. No, you had a process of getting there. There always is. Therefore, remember. See, this is the really good thing here that we see this. Jesus talks about the good stuff. He tells them the bad stuff. And then he says, I love you so much. He says, church at Ephesus, I love you so much. Remember from where you have fallen. Think back. What was it like when we first came to know each other? What was that like? Remember that because you've fallen from that. I want you back there even better, which is what he usually does. And so here's what you do. Repent. Confess what you're doing and change your life and lifestyle. Do it. Go back to the way that you did it when you were in that relationship of intimacy with Christ. That's how it works. And do the deeds you first did. Go back to the Word of God and love the Word of God. Go back to prayer. Go back to the fellowship of the body. Go back to the giving as you're supposed to give. Go back to serving. Go back to true worship in spirit and in truth. Because look what he says. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, again, he's saying, I love you. I love you. I I so absolutely love you. I want, I'm so desperate for you to repent because I want you back in that intimacy. I want you back in that place of agape love. I want you back where you're supposed to be, where I gave my life so you could be. But if you don't repent, I'm removing you. Now, what does that mean? Mean old God? He didn't get his way. He kicks you while you're down. Now, what he's saying to the church at Ephesus particularly, he's saying this. You're the primo church. In that time and day, Ephesus was the biggest church, the most renowned church. It was the church of Asia Minor, as it were. He said, you won't be that anymore. See, here's the thing you need to learn about God. He wants all of us to serve him in the capacity that he has called us to for the right reason. And that being the case, if we choose not to do that, guess what he will do? He will put somebody in our place. That's for us individually, and that's for us as a corporate body. So if we as a corporate body decide, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be light in Chester and and regions beyond, but you know what? We're just going to kind of take care of our own. And and because this was kind of what was happening in Ephesus. They got so busy protecting their own, they forgot there's a lost world out there who need to know the realities of Christ. Unless you repent. He says, that's what we're going to do. That, and then he says, yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nickelodeons, which I also hate. Now, who are the Nickelodeons? Well, different scholars have a little, a little different opinions, but it comes down to this. There was a sect of people who had come into the church, and they were promoting things that were contrary to what? The Word of God. And there were sadly leading people astray and so jesus says to the church leaders i'm so proud of you you hate what they're doing now again the nickelodeons do a little study if you want to i would encourage you to do so but in the next church it referenced the nickelodeons again because there's an influence there in pergamon and it references back to the old testament of balaam now what that's saying is to me anyway there were two things that were an issue with Balaam. 
He was a prophet who was misleading people, and it was twofold that he was doing. One, he was leading them into pagan worship, which involved prostitution, because they had prostitutes at the temple. You know, you go to worship, pay your money, guess what? And secondly, he was getting paid for his gift of prophecy. So the two things that we that I relate to this is sex and money. What are the two things that tear churches apart today? Sex and money. That's why if you go down our hallway and you look at our doors, you'll see there's a window there because there are oftentimes we have to have, those of us who are guys, and same thing for the females, we have to have people in our office that are the different, the opposite sex. There's no behind-the-door stuff. And money? I learned a long time ago, listen, and I do this once in a while, I'll be visiting and somebody who has not been able to be at the church for a long time, can you please take my offering, Pastor? And I'll do that. But typically, I don't touch money. I don't sign checks. I'm not even capable. They, if, if I signed a check, the bank would reject it from this church. Hallelujah. We have very capable people who do those things, and you keep it separated properly. So you do the right things Prayerfully, always with the right motive. But that was the Nickelodeons. They were leading people into these areas of abuse of sex and abuse of money. And then he says this, and let me say this to all of us. Do you have ears? That wasn't rhetorical. Do you have ears? Oh, the next one's going to be cute. How many sets of ears do you have? Thank you. Two sets of ears. You have these physical ears, and then you have spiritual ears. I think he's probably talking about both, but he's emphasizing the Spirit. Let him hear what the Spirit... Now, remember when we started out in chapter 1, where it's talking about the Spirit, talking about the small s, meaning our spirit, human spirit living within us. But now he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to the churches through Christ there to John. On Papas. To him who overcomes, <laughs> he says, Oh, I love you guys. I don't want you to fail. Just because you messed up doesn't mean you have to stay there. To him who's overcome, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Is that not cool? God says, I am so in love with you. I want you to spend all of eternity with me. And all I'm asking is, if you have ears to hear, listen. And just respond with what I'm asking you to do. And we're going to have all of eternity to enjoy this together. Please take this time to ask the Holy Spirit, working in your life and ministering to you in your spirit. It's like Jesus says right here in Revelations. Please ask the Holy Spirit to, one, commend you as you have served with the right motives in the kingdom of God, but also to remind you and even convict you if there's something that is not as it ought to be.